So today we are finishing this series of His Time Has Come as we are going to wrap up the Gospel of John today, and we will finish that. So next week we will be starting a new message series, um, and we are going to be spending several weeks uh, looking at the book of Isaiah. And so if you want to uh, read ahead, you know, and get, do that, uh, you can go ahead and, and, and open up and read through Isaiah again. And if you do that, you'll quickly realize that it's a large book. It covers a large, large spectrum of topics and, and different things, uh, but we're going to dive into it together uh, starting next week. And so as I said, I'm just looking forward to that, uh, to that series. But today, as we uh, finish the Gospel of John and finish this series of His Time Has Come, we, we are here with John 21. And last week, we had a, a, a great time uh, of celebration of the Resurrection Sunday and, and just of everything that God did through that incredible miracle and, and how we were all you know, saved through the blood of the Lamb. And, and we see all that. And yet, we saw here at, at the end of uh, John 20... That, that John had accomplished his, his mission or his goal of writing the gospel. In fact, again, we see uh, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, which is where we left off last week, it, where it says, it says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miracles, uh, signs, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of of his name. Again, this was truthfully the conclusion of, of the story of the Messiah. This was, again, as John said at the beginning, his goal was to, to show us who Jesus was, to, to the power of his life and his death and resurrection, and, and his whole goal of writing was that we would believe in the Messiah. And, and so here he concludes at the end of chapter 20 um, with the conclusion of the story. And yet he adds on this epilogue in chapter 21 because um, Jesus has some unfinished business that he must attend to with Peter. Uh, it's, it's, there's this huge, big detail that's left unresolved. As we know, um, John drug Peter through the mud very strongly in chapter 13, and then it all played out in chapter 18. And now in verse chapter 21 is where it all gets resolved. And this is where, again, we see the, the complete conclusion to everything that John has drawn up and brought up throughout the gospel. Um, and, and so, again, we see here at the end of chapter 20 that we believed in Jesus. We now have eternal life by the power of his name. But now what's next, right? What what, what is the next step for us in our life of the gospel message? Once we receive Christ as our Savior, once we prayed and accepted him, we've re received that forgiveness and grace and mercy that comes through the blood of the Lamb. What's the next step? And that's really what this chapter speaks to. In chapter 21, again, this is the redemption of Peter. This is where Jesus shows up again in his resurrected body, and he has this interaction with with the disciples, but very specifically with Peter in chapter 21. Now, as some of you know, I visited the Holy Land about a year ago, just over a year ago, and this was one of my favorite places that we went to. We went to the restoration site of Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, we went there, um, as again, we went to many different places while we were there. It was, we, uh, I mean, 
several sites every day. I mean, there's so much to see while we were there. Um, but while we were there, um, like I said, this was one of my favorite places we went. And, and to see there, this is at that site. And you'll see there's, again, the statue there of Jesus and Peter that's depicted, right, of them. Um, and, and you'll see here also uh, this, on this next slide, you see this is, again, the shoreline there. You see kind of the rocks, the Sea of Galilee. And there's a church that is built there. And just like most sites in the Holy Land, there's a church built over the top of where these things happen. Um, and, and yet, this, this was, like I said, one of my favorite places we went, um, just because of the power of this message. And being there, again, standing on the shore, and just, just imagining Jesus being there, and again, the disciples just off of, of the shore in, in, the, in their fishing boats, and, and again, we'll see that story, but again, I bring this up to say, this is a picture that's literally, that hangs in my office, and this I brought it up here today because this is at that site. I mean, this is me sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee okay, and just kind of imagining Jesus looking out and seeing the disciples there. And, and you know, as we, as we look at this, I wanted to show you these pictures to just set the scene, right, of what's about to happen that we're going to read this story today. And, and so the story is in John chapter 21. So if, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to John chapter 21. We are going to read... Uh, these first 14 verses, and, and like I said, just kind of have this scene in your mind, right, as we, uh, as we read these, uh, these, these 14 verses of this story. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up with me. If you're here with us in person, you don't have it, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat you're welcome to use. But here's this story, okay, of this redemption, the setup of redemption of Peter, John 21, starting at verse 1. As it so later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciples Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. And so Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you, because they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them and the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So as we see this, this story play out, right, which again, several days later after, after the resurrection, Jesus appears uh, to them and he's standing on the shore and he shouts out to them. But, but we see that this is kind of the continuing of the story that that Peter and John left off in 20 verse 10, because there it says, if you remember last week, we saw they, they ran to the tomb, it says they saw that it was empty, they, they realized what had happened, and it says then, and then they went home. 
Well, so they went home. They went home. They just continued on with their daily life. I mean, remember where they were before Jesus called them. They were fishermen. And so you see, at this, at this point, again, even now, they've, they've seen the resurrected Jesus. They, they, they've experienced the Holy Spirit, and yet they're sitting asking the same question we all have after we have our encounter with Jesus and our saving knowledge of him. Now what's next? Right? And they're there looking at what's next. And again, Peter's just like, hey, you know what? I'm tired of sitting around. I don't know. I'm, I'm going fishing. Right? They just went back to their life. And here John sets up this situation using several themes and lessons that he's brought up earlier in the gospel. We see in verse 4 that, that they had fished all night, and then here they are at dawn, right? At the morning light. We've seen darkness and light run through the entire gospel and, and how, you know, different things happen at night, and then God shows up, and it's light, and he sheds light on, uh, on, on these new things and on directions and gives people uh, new commandments, right? And, and so we see, again, this taking place at the light of the morning. We also see in the story how the, the human effort throughout the night came up empty. But yet, through obedience to what Jesus tells them to do, right? Throwing the net on the right side of the boat, which, which again, would make no sense. Right? But yet they were obedient to what Jesus told them to do. And with, through that obedience, Jesus accomplishes more than they could ever do on their own. Right? Their human effort had fallen short once again. And then Jesus tells them to do something different. And through their obedience, something miraculous happened. We also see that they did not first recognize that it was Jesus. Just like we've seen at earlier places uh, in, in the gospel, the most notably of last week where we saw Mary didn't recognize Jesus when he appeared outside the tomb. And here they did not recognize Jesus until after this miraculous catch of fish. And then once they are on the beach... Right? Notice Peter is so anxious to, to interact with Jesus in this moment that, that he doesn't even wait for the boat to get pulled in. Right? He, he just jumps in and swims to the shore. And again, this is a place where we see some of Peter's personality come out. Right? Is he's a kind of act first and think later type of person. And, and this is what he does. And he swims to the shore and he has this, this interaction with Jesus. And now once he's on the beach, Jesus has set up Peter's restoration. And as we are, again, ready for this, this interaction between Jesus and Peter, as, as Peter's heart is more than ready for this interaction, right, we, we see that, that Jesus has set up a very important scene. Now, if we go back to, again, this, this scene at the Holy Land, this is inside the church that is there. And, and you notice, again, this church is built over this pile of rocks. Okay, and right in the middle there, in the middle of the altar of this church, is just this bare rock. Okay, that's this, again, is believed to be the rock where Jesus built this fire. Where he had had this whole scene set up. Again, in verse 9, he, he, John tells us that, that Jesus had built this charcoal fire. Okay, this is the same fire, type of fire, that was seen in chapter 18, verse 3. At the 
house of, of, the, of Caiaphas, right, where Peter had gone and was, again, warming himself, right, where he denies Jesus. And now Jesus is bringing him back to the same fire. Jesus, Jesus is recreating the scene. But the only difference, once again, is, is that that fire, right, was in the middle of the night, in the, uh, surrounded by darkness, and, and this fire is surrounded in the light. And, and, and then we see, again, the fish and the bread. Again, John very specifically points out that Jesus had fish there, that he had bread there. He doesn't tell us where it was supplied from, because... The reality is that he is tying back to chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, which is the very famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. Again, what did Jesus feed to the crowd? He fed them fish and bread. And that fish and bread was miraculously supplied. Very similar to what is happening here. Right, Jesus has supplied it. Again, we see, that once again, that God provides what is not possible for humans to do. And, and through this scene, through, through this, this, this moment on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right, Jesus comes back for Peter, and, and the overall lesson that he's teaching Peter and that, that he's teaching us is that where human effort falls short, Jesus steps in. Where human effort falls short, Jesus steps in so that we can be fully redeemed. Right? That's at the foundation of the gospel message is the fact that we can't save ourselves. Right? That our human effort will fall short. And yet Jesus comes back to show not just Peter, not just the other disciples, but, but to show all of us that, of how to live out the gospel. Right? What's next? Right? We, we understand the gospel message. We understand that we are saved through the blood of the Lamb, but, but now what's next? Right? What's the next step in my journey? And now we see here that the stage has been set. And what comes next is the redemptive conversation between Jesus and Peter. And we see this happen in verses 15 through 17. So John chapter 21, picking up at verse 15. It says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said to them to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. 
Now, as, as we look at these verses and this, again, this interaction between Peter and Jesus, we see that, that Peter here experiences grace as Jesus forgives his betrayal. He experiences the grace of God. But he gets something he doesn't deserve. I mean, that, that's the definition of grace, right? Is that we get something that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned. And we see again that, that, that grace, this grace has been made possible because of the cross, right? That the restoration of our lives is completely motivated by love. Because notice where Jesus goes here, right? How does, what is he, what's the question, right? The, where, where, G, where Peter denied even knowing Jesus before, now he's asking Peter a very pointed question. Do you love me? Right? And, and again, Peter's like, of course I do. Of course I do. Right? And as Jesus says, yes, I love you, right? then, then Jesus gives him this, this, this command, I mean, after this. But, but yet we, we see here that, that Jesus' motivation, right, that, that the whole reason that he wants to redeem us in the first place is love. And we see, again, at, on the, at the third time, when Jesus asked him a third time, it says that Peter was hurt. And you think, you know, why, well, why, would, be, why would he be offended, right? Why, why was, he, was he hurt by the fact that Jesus asked three times? I mean, I mean we, we, we all know the story. I mean, Peter knew how many times he denied him, right? And, and Jesus was just making sure to go all the way. Right? And yet Peter was hurt because, because this was probably the realization within Peter of realizing, like, wow, like God really does know the whole story. Right? He knows that I did deny him three times. And, and I, when I read this, that Peter was hurt, I, I kind of can resonate with the fact that he was probably embarrassed. And I think we can all identify with that moment. Right? Even in, in the midst of, of forgiveness, even of being washed over by God's love and by his grace, we're still ashamed of what we did. We're still embarrassed by the choices we made. Right? By the, the, the sin that brought us down. We've all been there before. And again, just, just the, the realization that that. Nothing is hidden from God, that, that it's all been exposed. But it's not all been exposed, again, to embarrass us, right, or to drag us through the mud. It's, it's all exposed so it all can be redeemed. That there's nothing hidden, there's nothing that God doesn't already know. And again, it's all about love, right? God doesn't want to dredge up something in your life and in your past to, to push you further down. But he wants to, to do the surgery all the way so you can be fully healed. Right? God will not give us a band-aid when we need surgery. God will finish the job. And it's very humbling, again, to, to, to realize that. 
And again, the motivation of God is love, and, and love is shown by action. And here, Jesus shows up. And notice, though, that he not only forgives Peter and completely redeems him, but, but he also gives him a job to do. Right? And, and that, again, shows the, the, the complete love of God, right, is the fact that, okay, not only are you forgiven, right, but now you've been changed. And now that you failed, now you're going to rise above. Right, you're, in a, you're to be something new. You're going to accomplish something that you couldn't accomplish before. Right, and, and through this moment, this is, this is that, 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 that moment right, of not just confession, right, but, but true repentance. Because the difference between confession and repentance is, is that not only I confess what I did and I am forgiven through that, but now repentance is moving in a new direction. Again, if Peter gets the chance to deny Jesus, you think he's ever going to go there again? Right? And that's where we see even what, what Jesus predicts for him, right? He predicts that Peter's going to be crucified. He's going to be persecuted for his faith. In fact, that's exactly how Peter died, by the way. That's how most of the apostles die. The persecution of their faith. Several of them were crucified. But we see, again, that Jesus does the full work of redemption, and now he gives him a new job to do. And in, in this action, right, of Jesus not just forgiving, but, but pushing him to a new place, right, Peter is handed the baton of leadership. Jesus is saying, now I have led you for these, these three years. Now it's time for you to lead. And again, what does Jesus tell him to do? He tells him to shepherd God's church. Right? He tells him, feed my sheep, right? Like, take care of my sheep, love them, guide them, shepherd them. Now, this is, again, not a new concept. This is something that John has already addressed earlier in the gospel. I mean, there's, there's a few different places that, that John uses this analogy. Again, it's one that's used all throughout Scripture, truthfully. He dives real deep into it in John chapter 10. And yet we, we realize, right, that, um, that we have very little experience when it comes to shepherding, right? But also, before we think about shepherding and what that means, I also want to point out the fact, right, that, again, that, that Peter's handed the baton of leadership. I mean, this is the handoff. Now, I don't know if you have ever ran track. You know, I, I have very little track experience. I, I ran track in my younger years. I remember running some hurdles, some sprints, and some mid-length races, but I also ran relays. Now, like I said, I have limited track experience because track and golf are the same season, so that didn't, didn't happen. But, but, but the one thing that I remember about track, and especially about relays, is that the most basic reality of relay is the importance of the handoffs. Again, we, we never did anything in track practice to prepare for the relays other than practice the baton exchanges. Right? Because the reality is that the race cannot be won with good handoffs, but it absolutely will be lost with bad handoffs. You cannot run fast enough to make up for a bad handoff. 
And here we see this handoff from Jesus and his leadership with the disciples as he hands the baton to Peter. Right, and he starts with the, the personal work of, of redemption. And then Jesus hands off, again, the, the leadership to Peter as he tells him to lead the church. Again, this goes back to, to this prophecy that Jesus had spoken over Peter earlier, even potentially years before this moment. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus talking says, Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Yet he was telling Peter then that you are going to be the leader. Again, now Peter is to do for the church what Christ has done for him. To be a good shepherd. Right? To connect people to God through Jesus. So they also can be redeemed. Because Jesus takes Peter through this process first because the reality is you can't lead somebody someplace you've never gone yourself. And now that Peter has fully experienced the redemptive work of the gospel, it is now time for him to lead. And now we as the church, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to keep the chain going. We have the same job that Peter did. All of us do. Every believer is a part of God's church. We are all sheep that are being shepherded, and shepherds for other sheep that aren't as far along as the journey as you. Because the reality is, once you have been redeemed, then the real work starts. Once you've been redeemed, right? Once you've prayed and accept Jesus as your Savior, once you've, you've again, been forgiven of your sins, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, that's when you join the journey of faith, and now we start a whole new journey. And that's when the journey really starts. That's when the work starts of following Jesus. Right? That's when we turn our back on the sin and we focus our eyes on Christ. And we start to move forward. And we start to fulfill everything that Jesus needs us to do as his followers. Which means every believer within God's church needs to do what Jesus tells Peter to do. To shepherd his sheep. So what is the job description of a shepherd? Like I said, in, in, in our world today, in our modern culture, most of us don't have a lot of shepherding experience. Right? My, my experience of shepherding, um, you know, the extent was sitting in my truck as sheep walked by, right? I mean, this, literally, this was like two weeks ago, <laughs> Right, when I was on, on the wrong road at the wrong time, right, and the sheep came by. Again, so we think about, though, again, what, what's the job of a shepherd? The, the tools of a shepherd are very different today, but this was the common tool that Peter would have known. The shepherd's staff. Again, shepherding looks a lot different today. I mean, you know, modern shepherds today use horses and dogs and kinds of different things, but the tool of a shepherd. All right, as I said, again, this is a picture that hangs in my office. There's different, different things in my office that remind me of my job, and this is also 
in my office. Right? And I leave it there so that every time I look up and see it, I'm, I'm reminded of what I'm not just what I'm called to do, but what the church is called to do. The reality is every believer is called to shepherd God's church. So what does a shepherd do? Right, there's several different things, again, that we learn through Scripture, through the teachings of Jesus of what a shepherd does. First thing that a shepherd does is a shepherd provides guidance. A shepherd provides guidance. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38, it says, He felt great pity for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they didn't know where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers for his fields. I think this description that Jesus gives is a great one for our world today. They looked, right, and they see a world that is lost and doesn't know where to go for help. I, in fact, I encourage you to underline that phrase in that verse. They didn't know where to go for help. And again, something that we have seen in our culture, right, over the last year, that especially not necessarily because of the pandemic, but it certainly opened up our eyes to just everything that's gone on in our world in the last year, right? The reality is that people have realized that they're not really sure what's real they can trust where to go for help, right? And, and yet we as the church have the answer, right? The answer is God, right? And, and, and I think this is especially true, again, of our world today, that the harvest is so great. People are so hungry for something real. And yet I think it's also true, right, that Jesus says, but the workers are few, Right, there are a few that are willing to, to share the truth, right, to, to make the invites, to, to, to engage in those conversations. Right, the world needs more workers. Guess who that is? That's us. The shepherds, again, not, not just, again, provide guidance, right, but they also provide wisdom. Shepherds also provide wisdom for the sheep. In, in Mark 6, 34, it says, a vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught them many things. And who taught them? Jesus did. It's, this is talking about Jesus, right? Jesus taught them many things, and and again, what, what we learn about Jesus, right, about the way, the truth, and the life is, is also what we then can pass on to others, right? Because, again, we do have the knowledge that they need to find something real, right? We know about Jesus. But we also see, again, that shepherds provide protection. You know, earlier in the gospel in John chapter 10, Jesus' words where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming, and he will leave the sheep because they aren't his, and he isn't their, their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's merely hired and has no real concern for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. Again, he says, Jesus is not like the world that has no concern for other people. Again, the world is selfish, right? The world only cares about themselves. Right? But Jesus teaches us to, to truly care about the sheep, to, to have true concern for other people. Right? To, as Jesus led the way, right, he, he literally laid down his life to save the sheep. And once again, we see that protection is rooted in love. Again, protection takes a lot of different forms. Right? We understand that in our world, right? in our safety culture. Right? Everything is, needs to be safe. Right? And yet, right, are we learning what real protection looks like? Are we learning what the lessons that Jesus is teaching us? Again, we see these attributes of a shepherd, right? That, that shepherds provide guidance, that shepherds provide wisdom, shepherds provide protection. And lastly, we learn from Jesus that, that shepherds have genuine relationships. Right? That, that shepherds truly care. Here we see that Jesus alluded to that in John chapter 10. We, we see in 1 Peter, again, the advice of Peter, right, who experienced what a real shepherd does, right, who experienced redemption in a way that, that we hopefully can understand. But first, Peter, again, Peter tells us in, in his first letter, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, he says, shepherd God's flock. For whom you are responsible. Watch over them because you want to, not because you're forced, because that's how God wants it. Do it because you're happy to serve, not because you want money. Do not be like a ruler over people who are responsible for, but be good examples to them. And then when Christ, the chief shepherd, comes, you will get a glorious crown that will never lose its beauty. Are you following Christ's example of what real love is? Are you learning what it's like to be a good shepherd towards others as he shepherds you? Again, as we think about our, our vision and our mission of Oregon Trail is, is to join the journey. And like I said, we join the journey by receiving Christ as our Savior. And again, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior before, then I hope you will do that today. Because you can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Right? Your salvation is not something you have to work for, right? but something that you receive by grace. Something you don't deserve. And it's available because Jesus showed us what real love is. Right? By living a sinless life, by dying on the cross and rising again on the third day. Everything we celebrated last week at Easter. But once you join the journey, that's where the real work starts. Right, and that's where we have to continue to grow in our faith and, and take an, a step forward every day and to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. 
And again, that is our mission as a church. Again, you can grow in Christ and grow in your faith in, in a lot of different ways. Again, that's our main strategy here is to, is to provide you lots of different ways for you to grow in your faith. Or you do that through attending consistently, learning about who Jesus is, learning God's word. You do that by, by moving, taking the next step in, in your journey of, of growing deeper, of, of getting involved in small groups and classes and, and get into not just deeper teaching, but deeper relationships with, with God's people. Right, and as our, our strategy continues to move, as our, as our journey moves forward, we move from growing to serving. And yet we serve not because we're forced to, but because we want to. Right, we don't serve to earn our salvation. We serve because of our salvation. Right, and then we lead. Right? We lead where God tells us to. Once we're further along in our journey, then we help those that, that aren't as far along by leading and then by mentoring. Again, will you take the next step in your journey? Will you get involved in a small group? Will you come to a journey class? Right? Will you serve, not just, maybe not just in our church, but serve in our community? Serve wherever God leads you. Again, that's the point of our strategy is, is to equip all of us to, to not just be sheep, but also to help shepherd others in their journey. As you notice, if you're looking in your Bible, that there are still some verses that we haven't read. All right, there's some personal conclusions that happen between John and Peter, and, and again, he, he kind of puts all of that to bed here in these closing verses, and the reality is we don't have time to go through those this morning. But if you go to a small group, you will read these verses in your discussion questions. So if, if you, that's the cliffhanger, right? Say, go to the next step. Go to a group this week. Okay, or go through the questions on your own. They're, they're available for you out in the foyer. They're online. Um, but again, we'll cover verses 18 through 25 in those follow-up questions. But that brings me to my final thought today, and that is this. Not just a final thought, but a challenge. As we, as we put John away, Right? And as we move on to Isaiah next week, but the final thought and challenge is this. As a part of God's flock, he expects us to help shepherd other sheep. This week, look for an opportunity to be a shepherd for someone. Look for the opportunity. How can you shepherd someone who's not as far along in their journey as you are? That might be through a conversation, through an invitation, maybe just praying for them. Maybe it's just a smile to the checker at the grocery store. Again, I don't know what that might be. Right, but I encourage you to look for it and then be obedient to what God leads you to do. Lord, we praise you today, God, that your love never runs out. God, that no matter what we've done, no matter how much we've failed, God, that your love steps in where our human effort fails. God, we thank you for the gospel. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. God, we thank you that that love never runs dry. And Lord, I pray that as we go this week, God, that we would truly be your church. God, that we would step forward in our journey, that we would, Lord, be obedient to everything you ask us to do. 
God, that we would be good shepherds. God, that we would follow your example. God, and that we would love because we are loved. God, move us closer to you this week. God, help us to shine your light in this dark world. To show them what truth really is. Lord, that it's you. Guide us as we go. Lead us. Show us your love as we live out your love every day. In Jesus' name we pray.